Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 9 in verse 7. It says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right, Miss Marion's excited. I don't know about the rest of you. You'll be shouting like that before the end of service. I believe you will after you hear this message. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is The Heart of Giving. The Heart of Giving. Now, Today, the whole message we're going to preach is about giving, but specifically about giving offerings. What kind of heart is God looking for when we give our finances, our resources to God? What is he looking for when we give offerings to God? What, what is the heart behind it? Because that's what God cares about more than anything is your heart. He cares about your heart. But before we go there, I was thinking about, you know, one of our values at Church on the Rock, and we have it on the wall out front is generosity is our privilege. We don't have to give. We get to give. Now, when you don't really agree with that statement yet, you haven't fully let God have your heart yet. You haven't fully been taught why giving is important, why God needs your heart, why the heart behind giving really is. You've been taught maybe religion. You've been taught tradition. You've been taught, I do this because I have to, but you haven't been really taught what the word says and the heart behind giving. But generosity is our privilege. So that's on the wall out there. It's a value of our church. It's important. And that's the way we've lived for 37 years at this church. And, you know, our church has been able to do more things than most churches our size are able to do. Because of the giving here. Like a lot of other churches our size, and I'm not saying this in an arrogant way, but a lot of those churches maybe haven't been taught about giving. They're not able to have the staff that we have at our church. They're not able to have the facilities we have. They don't have the kids ministry, the youth ministry. They don't have the praise team or equipment that we have because they don't have the money to do it. But since generosity has been our privilege at this church and we've been taught about giving and the heart behind it, You guys have been very generous for 37 years. But I feel strongly today to say that we are just getting started with the generosity at Church on the Rock. We haven't plateaued. This is not the culmination of our generosity right now. We're just getting started. And we're getting in the best place we've ever been as a church financially to do what we're called to do. And God's raising up distributors in this church, people that have the gift of giving. I believe there's more tithers, more offering givers, and we're going to be able to do everything that God has called us to do. But you have to realize ministry costs money. Costs money. And the more money you have, the more ministry you can do. Costs money to have buildings. It costs money to do kids' ministry. It costs money to put on camp. It costs money to have a nice building. It costs money to have air conditioning. It costs money to clean the building. It, it costs money to print uh, Bibles. It costs money to feed the poor. It costs money to do ministry. And if you want to do a little ministry, then have little money. 
But if you want to do a lot of ministry, you got to have a lot of money. It goes with it because the church needs resources to do what God has called it to do. And I don't want to just do small ministry. God bless. There's plenty of small ministries around here. And maybe some other people look at our church and say it's small ministry. But I know what God has called us to be as a church. And it's not small money. Because it's not small ministry. When God has spoken over our church that we're supposed to be a region changing church. Region is big money ministry. Now, if you know me, you know my heart. If you don't know me, you're thinking, oh, he talked about big money so he can get a raise. I'm not talking about my salary. I don't even make my salary to start with, by the way. But I'm not talking about my salary. When I say big money, I'm saying big money to put into this church to do more for the kingdom of God, to plant more churches, to feed more poor, to send more money to places like we did last week to Ukraine, to do more stuff like that. I'm not talking about to raise the pastor's salary. So when I say big money, none of that has to do with me personally. I'm okay. I'm talking about we need more money to do what God has called us to do. But the church has to have the mentality, generosity is our privilege, and that's going to happen. Like the scripture says, not grudgingly giving, not somebody twisted your arm, not under pressure, but it's our privilege because God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. And, you know, generosity is our, our privilege That statement, I feel like, really sums up our church. But the reason our church is that way is because my parents were that way. You know, I got a lot of impartations in my life from different people, and and especially from my parents. But you could say that faith was imparted to me, that I'm a faith person because they're faith people. But I would say just as much as faith, giving is a key impartation that's happened in my life in this church because they're givers. That's why our church is full of big givers. And that's why generosity is our privilege is one of the values at this church. Because I've seen my parents empty their bank accounts for offerings like this. I've seen my parents give away cars in a house. I've seen my parents, somebody give them an offering and them turn around and give it back to the people that they gave it to or gave it to them. I've seen my parents live that way their whole entire ministry life. And they didn't do it because they had to do it. Come on now. They did it because it was their privilege. And they lived that way and they talked that way and they acted that way. And they never came home to Jessica and I and said, oh, goodness, we got to give again, guys. They lived that way all of my life, all of Jessica's life, all of this church's life. And that's why generosity is our privilege, is a value and foundation of this church because they live that way. And as the leader goes, so goes the rest of us. And they didn't do it because they had to, not grudgingly or under pressure, but they did it willingly because God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is a privilege. It's an honor to give. We need to understand that. If God has ever given you anything, when you get it, don't forget who gave it to you. And you'll keep that attitude of generosity is our privilege because no matter how much God blesses you with you remember where you came from 
You remember what you had when you met Jesus. You you remember your life pre-Christ. You remember what state you were in before you met the love of God. You remember what happened in your mind before you knew Jesus. And when you think about that, giving of your tangible money is nothing compared to the goodness and grace and mercy of God. And that's why it's a privilege. It's an honor that we get to be a part of what God is doing. Not everybody gets to be a part of it, but we do. And it's a privilege. It's an honor to give. It's not I have to give, not I got to give my tithe again, or pastor's going to bring it up next week. (laughs) Or they're going to take another special offering. No, I get to do this. I get to give to this. Not because I have to, because I want to. Now, if you don't feel that way today, it's okay. You need to keep listening and let God change your heart. Because he will. He will change your heart. But when God has showed you his grace, his mercy, his generosity towards you, generosity is your privilege. But we're talking today about the heart of giving. This service or this sermon series, not just this service, has been about prosperity with a purpose. But there's, there's a big overarching theme in the Bible about why God gives his people prosperity. And one of the main themes in the Bible of why God gives his people prosperity is this. God blesses his people with prosperity to build his house. His house. Now, we're going to talk today about three examples in your Bible. These are probably the three most significant examples in your Bible of offerings given to build God's house. And that's what we're doing in this all-in offering. We're taking up this offering to help us build this house and to do things that we couldn't do before without this offering to make God's house better, to reach more people, to help more kids, to do what God has called us to do. And God's major purpose all throughout the Bible is he gives prosperity to individuals and his people to build his house. He doesn't prosper them just to build their house. Now, you're going to be taken care of if God's blessing you, but he doesn't just give it to you so you can just get a big house and forget about him. So you can get the boat and sail away on the boat. So you can get the bank account and just, well, I got a big bank account, but are you helping God's house? Because he gave you the prosperity not to hoard it in a bank account in the Cayman Islands. I'm preaching before I'm preaching. You can jump in anytime you want. The water's great. But God prospers us for a purpose, and it's always attached to building his house. Now, there's three different houses of God mentioned in the Bible, and we're going to talk about all three of them. There's the tabernacle that Moses built. There's the temple, which David and Solomon built. And then there's the church in the New Testament, which the church is the house of God and the New Testament and the new covenant where we live. And the church in the new covenant is built by not just an individual, but by all of us. We make up the house of God. Now, here we go. Here's the disgruntled church member. Well, pastor, 
Sounds like their voice, right? Well, pastor, the Bible says in the New Testament that we are the house of God. We don't have to go to the house of God. That's an Old Testament idea. The New Testament preaches both, actually. It teaches, yes, the Holy Spirit indwells us, and we are the living, walking, talking house of God. But the local church and the early church believers came together, and they made up the local assembly of believers, which was the house of God, the family of God. You cannot separate the two. Yes, you are the house of God, but you also come to the house of God. And something happens different when we're together than when you're by yourself. And you can't get certain things by yourself. You got to get it with the family of God. So it's not either or, it's both in. Yes, you are the house of God. I believe that 100%. The Holy Spirit goes with you everywhere you go. When you're in Kroger's, you're the house of God. When you're in Walmart, because Lord knows you need it in Walmart, you are the house of God. When you're at the gym, you are the house of God. When you're at KFC, you are the house of God. When you're at the park, you are the house of God. Wherever you're at, you're the house of God because the Spirit of God dwells in you, not just in the building. But... Big butt. You come together and make up the house of God, the family of God. And there's something that happens supernaturally when we all come together. In the same way, your personal family, you don't call the house you live in your family, but you need a house. So does the local church. It's a family, and we need a house, and we need a building, and we need we need uh, equipment, and we need bathrooms, and we need air conditioning, and we need kids' areas, and we need sound systems, and we need all these things. No, they're not the house of God, but we need them because we are the family of God. And it comes with it. And guess what? If we moved out of this building tomorrow and a, a business took over it, it would no longer be the house of God because we're not there. But we do need buildings, and we do need resources, and we do need equipment to do the mission of God and build his church. So we see the three houses of God in the Bible are the tabernacle, the temple, and in the New Testament, it's the church. It specifically says in Timothy that the church is the house of God. So let's start with the tabernacle. Can we do a little Bible study today? We're talking about the heart of giving. Now, all three of these passages have a lot of similarities in the, in the way they talk about these offerings and their heart behind why they took up these offerings. But in all three of these passages, it talks about that God's people took up offerings to build or rebuild God's house. Now, we're going to start with Moses in the tabernacle. Now, here's something interesting to note. When Moses, quick recap, just in case you don't know about Moses. Moses was God's chosen man to deliver God's people out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. There was millions of them in Egypt. That was not God's best plan or will for their life. But they were in Egypt in slavery, and Moses came and delivered God's people out of Egypt. And when they, they got out of Egypt, their destination was the promised land. Now, if you read 
your Bible because of their unbelief and because of their bad attitude. They never made it to the promised land. But the promised land was only like a 12-day walk. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But here's something interesting to note. When God's people came out of Egypt, which is a type of the world, when God delivered them out of Egypt, there's this little passage that says, when they went out of Egypt, God moved on the Egyptians. They asked them for their riches and their wealth. And when they left Egypt, God's people brought all that Egyptian wealth with them as they left Egypt and went through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. Because they were going to the promised land, but the goal was when they got to the promised land, are you still following me? That when they got there, God wanted them to build him a house with the wealth they got from Egypt. There was a purpose in their prosperity. God didn't just bring them out with all that wealth just for them. He brought them out with that wealth so they would have building materials when they got to the promised land to build God a house and not a house made out of cardboard. They didn't buy their building materials from the discount store. No, when God was going to build a house, he was going to make it out of gold and silver and precious stones and and fancy wood and the finest fabrics because God deserves the best. The churches in this community should not look like the poorest, most pathetic looking buildings in, the, in, in this entire region. No, they should be the best. The banks should not be the best. The church should be the best. The corporation should not have the best building. The church should be the best. Why? Because God deserves the best. I'm going to stand up on this if you don't respond to me today because I'm preaching good in this house. God's house deserves the best. Now, now we're going to get into this today, and you're going to be shocked at the amount of money they spent in the Old Testament on God's house. And you guys are acting like this $90,000 offering is a big deal. No, it's not. Get the limits off your thinking, people. God's house deserves the best. So... You started this. Now we're going to keep going. God's people got the wealth of Egypt with them. God didn't bring them out in the wilderness to just have all that wealth there. What are they going to do? Where are they going to spend it in the desert? Is there banks in the desert? Is there a gold place they can, they can trade and barter? There's nothing in the desert. God brought them out with the wealth Because when they got to where they were going, they could build God a house. But this is what happened. The people were disobedient. The people said, we can't do it. And God said, okay, you can have what you say. You said you can't do it. You can't do it. But just because I love you so much, I'm going to have Moses build a faux house. (laughs) Not the real house, but this is a temporary house called the tabernacle. It was, a, it was a moving thing. It was, it was something that they could literally take out of the ground and move it to different places in the wilderness. And he said, this is not my perfect will because my perfect will is that we build this temple, but for now we'll build me a tabernacle, a house. 
in the wilderness. And if you know anything about the tabernacle, the tabernacle was portable. It was like a massive tent. And it had all this furniture in it that was handmade by people, craftsmen and artists. And that's where God's presence was. There was the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody watch Indiana Jones? I'm not going to ask you if you read your Bible because the answer is no. But have you watched Indiana Jones? <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant was there. And that was made out of gold. And so this was just a massive tent in the wilderness that housed God's presence. It was the house of God. But before they built this tabernacle, Moses is going to take up an offering. Something interesting to note that the tabernacle was strategically placed in the middle of the camp. All the tribes, there was 12 tribes, all the tribes camped around the house of God. It was the center of their life. It wasn't a side note. It wasn't like if I get around to it, I might make it Sunday at 10 a.m. It was an everyday thing. They woke up and they saw the house of God. They, they looked at it in the middle of the day. They saw it at nighttime. Their whole life revolved around the house of God because the tabernacle was in the middle of the camp. And all the tribes camped around the house of God. You're learning something so far. <laughs> but in Exodus 25, in verse 1, this is Moses about to take up an offering for that stationary house of God called the tabernacle. This is what he says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and that they may bring an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. Now, this is so important because we're going to see this reoccur in David and Solomon and also in the New Testament. These words just like this. When God wants an offering, this is how he wants it. From everyone who is willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Notice he lists the things. And these are all the things they got from Egypt to build his house. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat's hair. Ram skin dyed red. Badger skins and acaia wood. Oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This was Moses' instructions for how to take up the offering. God said, I want you to build me a house, the tabernacle, and this is what I need to build it. Notice God didn't ask him for what they didn't have. He's asking them for stuff that they collected in Egypt on their way out. Because that's what they were going to use to build the temple. Now, we don't have those things today, but you do have bank accounts. You do have a checkbook. You do have, have savings. You do have resources. Now, most of us in here are not bringing wood and gold and silver and stone, but we are bringing dollar bills or coins or we've text to give or done online giving. It's the same thing. 
God asked him for what they had to build his house. And he was going to use all those things, not just to build the tent where the tabernacle would be, but all the furniture. And if you read the next 10 chapters, it talks about the different furniture that God told him to make, the candlesticks and the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. And then he told the kind of clothes that the priest should wear and the ways that the priest should act. And then it goes on and it says that there was specific craftsmen that were anointed by God to build his house. Craftsmen that knew how to use gold and wood and, and how to handle stone. And they knew how to build God's house. And he said, I'm going to put an anointing on them just to build my house. And I believe with all my heart that anointing's on all of you in here. If you want it to be. And that doesn't mean you got to be a handyman to get in on this. God can anoint you to build his house. God can anoint you to be an usher. God can anoint you to do kids ministry. God can anoint you to sing on the platform. God can anoint you to do the visuals. God can anoint you to mow the grass. God will anoint people to build his house. Even with natural physical things. Because we're all thinking, well, the priests are the only people anointed in the Old Testament to build God's house. He said, I'm going to anoint construction workers to build this place. That they would have the wisdom to build it right and to build it full of excellence. Because my house is important. So nothing you do for God for his house is insignificant. Even if it seems natural. It's not. God can give you anointing to build his house. You know, I was thinking about Amzie because Amzie paints and he has a six-day paint company and we've asked him to paint the outside of this building. And hopefully, if we got good weather, that will happen or at least start next month. But, you know, he could just think it's natural, but it's not. God's going to anoint Amzie and his team to paint the outside of this building just like he anointed people in the Old Testament to build God's house. You're thinking the anointing just comes on AMC to sing, but no, the anointing could come on him to paint this place supernaturally and do it excellent and save money. God will anoint you to build his house if you want it. But notice after they took up the offering, this is what happened. Why? Because the people were willing and their heart was in it. In Exodus 36, listen to what happened after they took up this offering. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough. For the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. And so Moses gave a commandment. He gave a commandment to stop giving. And they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp. Let neither man nor woman do any." Work for the offering of the sanctuary, and the people were restrained from bringing. 
for the material they had was sufficient or more than enough for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Too much. Too much. We got any faith people in here? Too much. They brought too much. The pastor had to say, you're bringing too much. You're bringing too much. Some of you guys think that this is only Bible stuff. I'm believing our church is going to get into that. Every time we take up offerings in the future, pastor, they gave too much. Let's give some back to them. I don't know what to do with this. We got too much. But how did they get too much in this offering? Because the people's hearts were in their giving. And they did it willingly with all their heart. And then Moses had to say, stop, guys. We got more than enough building materials. We don't need any more. But the people were so passionate about finishing God's house. They said, if it takes me bringing something every morning to complete this, we're going to do it. I'm believing there's some church people in this place that have that same heart. Not because you got to, not because you're guilted into it, because you want to. So Moses built God a tabernacle in the wilderness. And that offering was not just enough, it was too much. Because all of God's people brought it willingly, because their heart was in it. Let the same thing be said of us as his people. I want to talk about three things the rest of the service that I see are attitudes in your heart that God is looking for when we give offerings. You got to understand this, that the three themes of all these passages, the one with Moses, the one with David and Solomon, and the one in the New Testament, is all three of these, it's never about the amount, it's about their heart. Because if God has your heart, the amount will come in. If all of us in here do what God has told us to do and give what God has told us to give, it will come in. The question is not how much you give, is if God has your heart, because that's what he's looking for. The first thing I want to say is in our giving towards God, the first attitude in our heart we need to have is to be willing. To be willing. Didn't you sense that in Exodus? It kept saying they were willing. Out of their free will, they gave to God. The Bible says in Isaiah 1.19 that those who are willing and obedient will eat the good of the land. Those who are willing. So let's turn over to 2 Corinthians. And I'm going to talk to you about another group of people that gave an offering. We're still talking about willing. What's God looking for? He's looking for a willing heart. A willing heart that wants to do his will. So before we read this in 2 Corinthians, Paul is telling a church about this opportunity they have to give into this church of Jerusalem that needs help. And Paul is telling this Corinthian church because they already said they would give and then they were kind of backpedaling from that stance of giving. 
And Paul starts preaching to this church in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about the importance of giving, and it needs to be from your heart, willingly. But he uses this example that there is a church at Macedonia who is in deep poverty, but yet they wanted to give in this offering. Kind of trying to show this church in Corinthians, like, you guys got a lot of money, and look at this church over here. They're in deep poverty, but their heart is so willing, and towards God, they're giving in the offering. How about you guys? You guys said you were going to give. These other people are giving because their heart's in it. Where's your heart, Corinthian church? That's what he's trying to say to this Corinthian church, because they have resources. They have money, but they can sometimes be unspiritual. When I was reading in the commentary about this earlier this week, it says, an unspiritual church is a church that's not generous. But a church that's spiritual will always be generous. The Macedonian church, even though they had issues and they were in poverty, they decided we're going to give. Because they understood the way out of this is not keeping to ourselves. It's giving. So notice what he says here. We're still talking about willing. 2 Corinthians 8 in verse 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Verse 12. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what what he does not have. Are you hearing what he's saying to this church? You got to be willing. Your heart's got to be here. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 2. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Atticaia was already a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. In verse 7. So let each one give as these purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The first attitude we have to have when we're giving an offering is we got to be willing. It says that about the church in the wilderness, the tabernacle. It says that about this Corinthian church. And it also says that about David and Solomon, which we're going to read later. What is God looking for when you give an offering to him? Your willingness. Are you willing? Does he have your want to? Does he have your desires? Do you care? Are you willing to do it? Not under pressure. Not because someone twisted your arm. Not because you feel guilted into it. God doesn't want it if it's like that. Keep it. But he says, if you're willing, give. If you're willing. And that's something that God has to do in all of our hearts. The next thing I want to talk about is this. God is looking for a cheerful giver. He wants a willing giver, but he wants a cheerful giver. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7 in the Amplified. Let each one give as he's made up his own mind and purposed in his heart. That's willing. Not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, 
For God loves, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon. You can go to the next verse. Or do without, notice this, a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. The second thing he's looking for is not just a willing heart when you give, but a cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver, a joyous giver. So I want to ask you today, not just in this offering, but any offering we take. How's your heart? How's your attitude? Is it willing? Is it cheerful? Now, For a lot of us in here, we've probably been all over the place in giving. <laughs> I've been there too. I've seen some mad givers at church. Haven't you? Maybe you've been a part of that. Okay, stop talking about it. Here's my offering. Do you think God gets pleasure out of that? A mad giver. Now I've seen the opposite, some sad givers. Some sad givers. Have you seen some sad givers? Maybe you have been a sad giver. This is a lot of money, God. People are thinking it's the anointing. No, you're just sad at how much you gave. You're like, oh, they're being touched. The anointing's all over them. No, it's not. They're grieving. God, why did you tell me to give this? So God, he doesn't want a mad giver. And he doesn't want a sad giver. He wants a glad giver. He wants a cheerful giver. A joyous giver. In some translation it says a hilarious giver. That you're laughing all the way. And not because you're crazy. You're laughing all the way to the offering bucket because you're so excited to give to God what he gave to you in the first place. Come on now, somebody. God is looking for a willing heart. I want to do it. Not because I've been forced or pressured to it, to do it. No, no, I want to do it. But he's also looking for a cheerful giver. How's your attitude when you give? That's what he cares about. Not a mad giver or a sad giver, but a glad giver. God's looking for some joy in our generosity some cheerfulness, and if you really got revelation on it, you would be. I know you still don't know enough yet if you're not happy about giving yet, because giving is the most fun, freeing thing to do, that we get to be a part of what God is doing. He's looking for a cheerful giver. But why is he looking for a cheerful giver? Well, let's just ask you. How do you like somebody to give you a gift? Have you had other situations that they weren't always happy when they gave you a gift? It took the joy out of the gift. Maybe it's like a brother and a sister at Christmas. When mom and dad told them, you got to buy your brother or sister a gift. And they're giving a gift, they're like, Here you go. I sure love you. How many know you don't feel like you're loved 
when somebody gives you a gift and they're mad about it or forced to give it. Or on top of that, if somebody gives you something and you can tell they're kind of sad, it left their hand, you're like, hey, if you don't like it, just go ahead and give back to me. <laughs> but no pressure. If you like it, just keep it. But I really enjoyed it. But no, no, just keep it. I want you to have it. But if you don't like it, just feel free to give it back. I'll probably wear it. Like, do you want me to have it or do you not want me to have it? What's going on here? You're a sad giver. You're not really giving this to me because your heart's not in it. But then there's people that know how to give. That when, when they give you something, they seem more excited than you are to receive it. That's the kind of people that God is looking for. God, I'm more excited to give it than you are to receive it because I'm my joy and my heart is in my giving. That's the kind of givers that I like that are, that are just waiting around. They gave me something. They're like, oh, open the card. Open the card. Open it up. Oh, read it. Oh, you didn't read the whole part. Read this part and this part and this part's funny, but then open it. How much is that? Tell me how much it is. Oh, yeah, that was really good. I get so much joy when the person giving the gift is more excited than me. So does God. And some of you who don't have people in your life like that need to get more friends or better ones. Because that's a real friend. They're more excited to give to you than you are to receive it. Am I preaching today or not? <sighs> when you got revelation on giving, you're more excited to give it than the other person is to receive it. I think Jesus said something like this. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> well, when you're cheerful about it, it's exciting. It's exciting. I love giving gifts. I like giving gifts to this church. I like tithing. I like giving offerings. I like blessing my friends just for no reason. Hey, I saw this on the internet the other day. This looked like you. I bought it. Here you go. It's, it's not even a special occasion. Just because I'm a cheerful giver. When I'm with Natalie, or with, with the boys, or with, with Avery, I love giving. Not because I have to. Not because my arm's twisted. I love them. And if you love somebody, your response is giving. <laughs> it's not hoarding. It's not stingy. It's not keeping to yourself. And you don't feel pressure to do it. You don't have to do it. You want to do it. Cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And so do you. We all do. Are you getting something today? So what is God looking for? He's looking for a willing heart when you give. If you don't want to do it, keep it. Seriously, keep it. If you don't want to do it, keep it. God doesn't receive it when your heart's not in the right place. I don't care if you put a million dollars in the offering. If your heart stinks, God does not care. Does not care. There could be a little kid who's, who loves God with all their heart and they put a dollar in. He cares about that offering. You want to bring a bad attitude in here and, and plop in a million dollars thinking God's going to do something for you? He said, I don't care. Because your attitude stinks. 
What I care about? A willing heart and a cheerful heart. That's what God cares about. It's not about the amount. It's about your heart. What is God looking for? He's looking for a willing heart when we give offerings. Not just this one today, but any offering we give. And he's looking for a cheerful, excited, joyful person when they give. Here's the third thing. He's looking for a sacrificial giver. Brother Daryl, could you come play for me? Thank you, sir. He's looking for a sacrificial giver. This is something you see all throughout Moses in the tabernacle, David and Solomon in the temple, and even in this Corinthian church, sacrificial giving. Paul even quotes the Macedonian church he's talking about in 2 Corinthians and says, these guys were in deep poverty, yet they were giving. What is that? That's a sacrifice. He's trying to tell them, you guys didn't even have money, but yet these churches were giving out of a sacrifice. It's so important. Sacrificial giving. And Jesus in the Gospels talks about there was people giving an offering and Jesus was watching. And it says there was people, big money people, throwing in all this money into the offering plate. And then there was this lady who put in two pennies. And he said, guess which offering God received? Guess who gave more? It was a lady who gave two. Why? Because her heart was right. It was a sacrifice for her. The other people were just throwing God some money out of their abundance. But it was a sacrifice to her. And he said because her offering was willing, it was cheerful, and it was sacrificial, I received it. When we give God to offerings, especially an offering like this, it should be sacrificial. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to God. You should feel it when it's sacrificial. It should mean something. I love this passage speaking about David, and we're going to talk about David the rest of the time. This was just one of many times David gave, and David was a man after God's own heart. And David, in this passage here, he was going to go give an offering to God, and there was these other people around him because he was the king, and they said, we'll just give it to you. We'll give you the, these animals to sacrifice as an offering. But because David's heart was right, he said, I can't do that. I can't do that. Because when I give to God, it needs to be a sacrifice. And this is what he said in 2 Samuel 24, 24. But the king replied, no, I insist on buying it. For I will not present my burnt offerings to the Lord my God. That 
have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David told this guy, don't give me it. I'll pay for it because I'm not going to give God something that didn't cost me something. I'm not going to give in the offering if it doesn't sacrifice something on the inside. Think about that today. He could have easily just said, oh man, I'll take it and I'll just sacrifice. This is no big deal. But it is a big deal if it's for God. And he said, I won't give God that which costs me nothing. Think about that today when you take this offering in a moment. It should be willing, it should be cheerful, and it should be sacrificial. But I want to read this passage to you in 1 Chronicles 29 when David and Solomon were building the temple. Notice what David does here. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God. Now this is David. Now he was the king, so he had these type of resources. But listen to what he gives. Gold for the things to be made of gold, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors. All kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Verse 3. Moreover, listen to this, because I've set my affection... Are you hearing me today? I've set my heart on the house of my God. I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I prepared for the holy house. My own special treasure of gold and silver. Listen to what he says. 3,000 talents of gold. Of the gold of Ophir. 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house. The gold for the things of gold and the silver for the things of silver and for all the kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the leaders of the father's houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of a thousands and of hundreds with officers over the king's work offered willingly. And this is what they gave. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel, the Gezerite. Then the people rejoiced. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. For they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Let's stop right there. Leave it up there. Thank you. Are you hearing this? Are you hearing this today? 
David and Solomon building the temple, which they got into the promised land, they're building this in Jerusalem. David had already given great wealth into the temple, but he said, I'm going to do an over and above offering. And he gave gold and silver and all these things. It starts listing all the abundance he gave into God's house. And I was reading about that this week. And if you added that up in today's money, it's in the billions and billions of dollars in today's money. Some say that if you added up all the gold, silver, stones, marble that David gave, it could at least be $20 billion. Now, this is not to condemn you. He was a king. I don't got $20 billion either. But why did David and Solomon prosper? Because God wanted him to build the house. Why did they think they became king? Because God put them in the position to be promoted so they would have that prosperity to build God's house. But if you are you seeing the same things in Exodus and Corinthians and Chronicles? The people gave willingly with their heart and they gave cheerfully. It says they rejoiced. And then it lists all the things they gave. They gave sacrificially. Are you still with me today? David had already given to the offering, but he gave an over and above offering, which was in the billions and billions of dollars in today's money. Because his heart, it says, was set on the house of God. But there's an interesting thing. It says that when David did that, then all the leaders in all the tribes in all the people than they gave because the leader has to go first and then the people come after him and so today I know we're taking up this offering I know some people already gave I know some people might give after today that's okay but the leader's got to go first I can't tell you to do something I'm not doing right so I'm going to tell you what I'm giving in this offering No, I normally wouldn't do this but I feel like God told me to do this because it actually has what David gave written down in the Bible. And because of his great generosity, everybody else got a hold of it in their heart and said, okay, if our leader can do this, we can do this. I do not want you to compare yourself to me because God could tell a different number to everybody in here. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. Once again, he's not looking at the amount. He's looking at your heart. So, Earlier in this week, I talked to Morgan about it. And I said, well, what do you think? And, and we both said a thousand. So this is what we didn't do. We didn't just give a thousand. She said a thousand. I said a thousand. I said, okay, well, let's give 2,000 then. So in this offering today, I already gave on text to give. If you don't believe me, you can ask Ms. Donna. <laughs> Did Pastor really give that? And there's an offering envelope right here with a check for $1,000. So Morgan and I today are giving $2,000 into this all-in offering. Let me finish. Don't compare yourself to me. Some of you think that's a lot of money. Others of you think that's not much money. It's not about that. It's about what God told me to give. 
But on top of that, right now we're trying to sell Morgan's house. And when Morgan's house is sold, which will be soon, we're going to tithe on that house the money that comes in and give it into the all-in offering. I can't tell you an amount how much that will be, but it will probably at least be six or seven thousand, maybe eight thousand dollars from the tithe from that house. I'm not telling you that for you to think anything about me. I'm saying the leader's got to go first. I'm not going to get up here and preach and then barely give anything in the all in offering. So that's where we're at. We're giving 2000 today, and when soon as that money comes in, we're going to tithe off that house and give it into the all-in offering. So it could be $10,000. Wouldn't that be fun? I've never given a $10,000 offering before. So I told you that to say I'm going to do what David did. I don't have billions, but I do have a house to sell, and I do have $2,000 I can give today. And I'm giving it to be an example to you, and it's because God told me to give it. And I believe, like the scripture says, when the leader went first, then all the leaders and all the tribes and then all the people said, people said if, if we'll be able to do this, because look at our great leader, he did this and his heart was towards God. We can do this too. So hopefully that's what is sparking today. But when I looked at the offering, I asked myself these questions. Am I willing to give it? You better believe it. I love this kind of stuff. Number two, am I cheerful about it? Yes, I am. But then the third thing, was it sacrificial for me? Yes. If I gave $200 today, it wouldn't be a sacrifice for me. It wouldn't. Because it didn't mean anything to me, it wouldn't mean much to God. Now, some of you, 200 could be a sacrifice. That's okay. That's what God told you to do. But for $2,000, that's a sacrifice for me. That's why I gave that amount. I didn't want to give the easiest amount possible. Because I won't give to God that which costs me nothing. He's better than that. His house is greater than that. His plan is bigger than that. I'm not going to give God my leftovers. I'm going to give God my best. And I won't give to God that which cost me nothing. So it was a sacrifice. How do you know it's a sacrifice? This is what I said to Morgan. You'll like this. Are you guys still here? You want me to be quiet? I'm going to close. Sacrificial. How do you know it's a sacrifice? I looked at her this week. When I said, okay, well, I'll give a thousand and then you write a check for a thousand. I said, hopefully you like beans because that's what we're going to be eating for the next week. <laughs> and she said, actually, I love eating beans. So it actually works out really good. So how do you know it's sacrificial when you look at each other and say, do you like peanut butter sandwiches? Because we could probably be eating peanut butter sandwiches for the next week or so. Do you like beans? <laughs> so in case you're wondering how to gauge sacrificial giving, that's the way you should talk to each other. 
Do you like cheese and crackers? Because that's what we'll be having for all of our meals for the next week. <laughs> and she said, I love beans. And I said, okay, well, I don't, but you do. So God bless, I guess. We're going to take a moment in a second and we're going to sing a song and I'm going to have these buckets up here and you can come give. And I know many of you probably gave online and text to give and that's okay. But if you want to give, we're going to have a special time to prepare that. And then dad's going to come up in a second and pray over it. But let me read the rest of this passage because I think it's beautiful. David starts really preaching and proclaiming the goodness of God and then they start worshiping God after they gave because that's what we're going to do. So look what David says. Second Chronicles 29, I think it's verse 10. So just listen to this. Let's get our heart in the right place. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly and David said, blessed are you Lord Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours, and yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. And then David speaking, he says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willing as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you as were all of our fathers in our days on earth or as a shadow and without hope. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and all is your own. And I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things and now the joy I've seen on your people, come on, that's us today, church, who are present here to offer willingly to you, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts and the heart of your people and fix their heart towards you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision and listen to what he says. Then David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the King. So could we stand up today? That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to worship. We're going to rejoice. And we're going to give today. And then dad and I will come back at the end and we're going to pray over this offering. Are you with me today? Come on, is your heart in it today?
Are you willing today? Are we cheerful today? Come on, are we ready to sacrifice today? That's what God is looking for. And we do it to build his house. So as we sing this worship song, you could just come at your own pleasure. And there's offering buckets up here to give. And we'll come back at the end. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.